Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Steve, for reading. Thanks for leading us in worship, you guys. Appreciate your ministry. Thanks for singing. I tell you, it's a joy to hear you guys praising the Lord. And um, that's, that's always a joy to, to hear a group of people just worshiping God is, um, is a real pleasure. And I hope, you find, uh, I hope you find joy in that. I hope you realize that your eternity, um, I trust, well, a big part of that is going to be worship. It's not all we're going to do in heaven, but we're certainly going to worship the Lord together in heaven. And I am looking forward to that. That last song that we sang, um, I called and you rescued. I don't know what, you, what came to your mind as you sang those words. When that time was that you called to God and he rescued you. Was it, was it maybe when you trusted Christ and you called to him and he saved you? Maybe it was a time when, when you were struggling or, or just had a really low time and, and you called out to God. And that's well and fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with, with having that concept in your mind when you sing those words. But, but I want to challenge you with a different idea. And it relates to the passage that Steve just read for us. And that's to realize that Jesus coming to the earth his becoming a man and coming to the earth and, and living out in front of witnesses who he is and, and what he did was a call from us collectively as humans crying out, God, we need help. We, we need to know who you are. We need to know what is truth. As a matter of fact, the Bible speaks about that the prophets longed to see, longed to see Jesus coming. They knew he was coming. They were longing for them to come. And now we know he has come and revealed himself to us. So great songs today. And, and they just really, I hope, reflect your heart. I remember one time getting another phone call uh, for help. A person called me, said, please come rescue Here's what it was, and it'll really lead into what I want to talk about today. Um, I was a youth pastor at the time, and this older man that was part of the church where I was serving, um, he called and said, Pastor Lowe, I really need your help with something. Now, this gentleman had just, uh, it had been a few years, but his wife had passed away, and he was still really struggling. It had been three, four, five years since his wife had died, and, and he, was, he was an older man, and they had spent many years together, and um, he was struggling. And he called and said, I've got this window that, that I need help cleaning. And can you, you know, the way it works, can you get some young people to, to come out here and, and help me clean this up? Sure, sure, we'll do that. So, so I made some phone calls and gathered up a few kids and a couple of adults, and we drove out to his house. We go in his house, and um, I mean, it was a mess, you know, it, it hadn't had a woman's touch for a long time. I mean, there's just, you know, dirty dishes and just, you know, boxes of things. It's just, it just an absolute wreck. And we, we go back into this back room. Now, this was the special room. And he teared up telling me, he said, um, you know, I don't remember what her, I don't want to share her name, but he said, you know, the missus, she used to sit right here and, and she'd look out that window and she'd sit here and read her Bible and watch the sun and Watch the deer run around in the field. And just, you know, he was really moved in his heart remembering that. And I look at this window and I can't see anything. I mean, it is just a mess. And he says, do you, do you think you could ask to clean up that window? And that's why, I'm, that's why I have you here. I want you to, to clean up that window. 
I'm like, sure. So I go over to it, and I, I got some paper towels. I get them wet. And have you ever, like, washed, washed a window that's covered with mud, and it just streaks, you know, and you're just like, oh, man, this is nasty. So I, I clean off a spot, and I, where I was working, I still couldn't see outside. So I said to the gentleman, I said, you know, are you sure that this is a see-through window? We, we can't even see. Yes, yes, she, she sat there for years. Looked out the field and all this. So finally, I go outside, okay, and come to the window. And now it wasn't the whole window, but a, but a huge section of the window was covered with this material. Now, you may or may not know what this is, but, but there's, there's this insect that lives here in West Virginia. It's called a blue mud dauber. Had to look it up on the internet to find what this thing is called. And this is what its nest looks like, okay? You ever seen one of these things? Yeah, yeah. And so what they do is they, they go down in the mud. It's actually a form of a wasp. I know a lot about the blue mud dauber now. They go down in the mud, okay? And they pick up some mud and they go up. And, they, and that thing right there is, is, is amazing as it is. Man, what a great designer we have, you know? That he made an insect that can make this thing out of mud and, and, and bee saliva. That's how he makes it, okay? So I guess he puts it in his mouth. You know, and, and puts it and builds it, you know, and puts some more in his mouth and, and works. And, and so all over this, this huge part of this window was covered with these blue mud dauber nests. Well, there's your problem. You ever tried to clean that stuff up? It's nasty. So a bunch of us had to go out there with, with putty knives and just scrape. I mean, I don't know. There must have been just a huge colony of these wasps all living there below his house because it was just a huge section. We had to just scrape and scrape and scrape. You know, by, by the time we were done, you could see out that window. Now, Steve read a passage of Scripture for us. It's Jesus explaining what he is going to do for humans regarding the law. You see, mankind had taken the law of God and added pieces. It added a covering like a blue mud dauber. Had added all these pieces to the law of God. And now man couldn't even see through it to see the real reason why we were given the law. Man was blinded, mankind was blinded by what other men had attached to the law. So Jesus came, Jesus came to knock off the barnacles from the edge of this law, to knock off the mud dauber nest so we could see the truth. Let me show you what the law was meant to be. Go with me to Psalm 119. Now, if you were here last Sunday and you listened to Pastor John, he gave you some homework. He said, read Psalm 119. Did you do it this week? Did you do it? It's a long chapter, but I want you to go there. I want to show you something here about God's word. 
Now, you remember where we're at right now as a church. We're working through the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. And at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about what a blessed life he offers to his followers. But the thing is, it's a little bit counterintuitive. He said, blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So it doesn't quite line up with how we might think. So we're trying to understand what it is that Jesus was referring to. But I have you turn to Psalm 119 because that Psalm, or I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 5 is not the first time the word blessed has been used in the Bible. The word blessed is all through your Old Testament. And in Psalm 119, it's used in verse number 1. Look what the psalmist writes. Blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Now, blessed in the Bible. It doesn't, listen folks, blessed on this planet, blessed in this time, blessed in our culture, can look like a whole host of things. Most of them things that people buy with money, be it houses or cars or or adventures or trips or whatever. That's, That's blessing now. But listen, that's not blessing for all of time. That's a current kind of model of blessing. Here we have what blessing is in life for all of time. And and what it is, we've talked about this at length as we've been together. Blessing of God is this: that God is with you. That God is for you. That God has forgiven you. That you can live a life connected with God relationally in that way. That you can have relationship with God. That he makes you a new creature that can have relationship with him. That is blessing. That's a blessing that doesn't doesn't fade or spoil. That's a blessing that lasts for all of eternity. But what man has done on many different occasions, and we're going to see one in just a moment, but what man has done is taking things like this and misconstrued what it means and misunderstood what it means and taken this truth and attached things to it to cover up the true meaning of what God is calling us to. And part of that centers around the law of God, the word of God. Look over just a page in Psalm 119 at verse 97. Look at verse 97 and let's, let's at least begin to understand the challenge that Jesus is going to take up. I want to kind of lay the groundwork so when we go back to Matthew chapter 5, we can at least understand what he's undoing. So in Psalm 119, verse 97, look what the psalmist writes. Oh, how I love your law. I love your law. How do you love law? How do you love... People will say, I love the Bible. Let's think about that for a minute. Are we to love the law and love the Bible? 
the, the, wor- the, the, the little black marks on this piece of paper, the, the faux leather cover that's on this book, is, that, is this what I am to love? Now understand, there are Christians that go there. That go there. And, and elevate the Bible, even, to a, a strange place where the Bible is worshipped. And the, the law is worshipped. And I love the Bible. I love the law. I, I spend my life in it. But herein lies a problem that we've got to be careful of. The psalmist says, I love your law. He says he loves a lot of things. But what he's really directing us to is to love God who's given us his law. To love God who his law reflects. To love God who's given us his statutes. To love God who's given us his word. The only thing about this book that, that I love is the God who it tells me about. It tells me about God. It tells me about who Jesus is. It tells me what he has done. And so I love God. I love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Jesus said, right? We love him. But his law and his word, it informs us of him. It tells us about him. It, it, it allows us to understand who he is. But man has taken this and, and messed it all up. Added the blue mud dauber nest to the law. And so then we can't even see it. We can't get to it. We've got to break through to even see what God is calling us to. So go with me to Matthew 5. And let's see how Jesus does this. How Jesus masterfully goes ahead and, and demolishes people's wrong ideas about the word of God, about the law of God, and about God, and about themselves. Steve has already read it for us. Thank you, Steve. In Matthew chapter 5, and Pastor John dealt with this last week. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna continue to walk through that passage again. Too much here just to hit for one Sunday. Let's see what Jesus does with this. First of all, I want us to see that what Jesus is going to do is he's going to clear up a bunch of law confusion. There's a lot of confusion about the law. He's going to clear it up. He's going to clear it up. And the way he's going to do that, he's going to show us that the law of God reflects the character of God. The law reflects the character of God. And it also reveals the sin of man. Look at verse 17. Do not think, Jesus says, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, the simple fact that Jesus said this indicates that there must have been a thought that he was coming to abolish the law. Maybe he's coming to get rid of the law. Maybe he's going to reveal a new law. If that had been the case, he would have been rejected because God had given his law and people had been faithfully, some people had been faithfully studying and learning and, 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 and loving God through the use of the law. So Jesus says, I'm not coming to abolish. No, I'm coming to fulfill. Fulfill means to complete. It means to accomplish, to demonstrate. You see, the law had been emptied of its truth in man's eyes because of what other people had added to it. The Pharisees had designed this whole system that 
they added to the law. And they had added so much to it. And Jesus is going to deal with this through the rest of Matthew chapter 5. They had added so much to this, these rules and regulations that now had been emptied of its power because people couldn't see it. It's like that window, folks. It was like that window. You could sit there in that living room and look out that window, but you couldn't see a thing because it was covered with dirt on one side and that wasp nest on the other, and you couldn't see outside. So Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish, not the law. No, no, no. I came to fulfill it. So what does it mean that Jesus fulfills the law of God? Listen, Jesus didn't, he didn't destroy, he clarified the law. Because the law of God reveals the character of God. That's why we have law and grace. The law isn't a bad thing. The law tells us who God is. It reveals the character of God. Let's just take one piece of the law, that, we, that moral law that we can use. All right? We know that one of the Ten Commandments is not to kill. Not to murder, actually. Not to murder. Now, why is that? Did God, did God just come up with some arbitrary rule? Okay, let's see. Uh, let's go on. Uh, no murder. That'll work. Is that what happened? No. No. Every one of the commands of God, every one of these moral commands of God that, that we have in the law, they reflect the character of God. The reason why murder is wrong is because God is life. And God made man in his own image and gave him life. So man isn't to snuff out life. God is life. Why is it wrong for you to lie or to be dishonest or to bear false witness? Why? Because God is truth. God is truth. And so the law reflects the character of God. Why are we to be faithful to our marriage partner and not commit adultery? Why? Because God is pure. And he has made marriage, and it is to reflect him. He is pure. See, every part of the law of God reflects the character of God. And when we see Jesus now, so Jesus comes onto the planet, Jesus invades the world who needs him to come and rescue. He invades the world, and he reflects the character of God. Or you might say, he lived the law. Perfectly. He loved all people. He touched the leper. Nobody was allowed to do that. He spoke to sinful people, was friendly with them, had meals with them. He would heal people who were who were hurting. He would he would love people who were brokenhearted. And all the time, everyone who sees him. What what do they know? They see and they know the character of God. This is how Jesus fulfilled the law. Man, the religious system, had emptied emptied it of its meaning. And Jesus filled it back up. He filled it back up. So if you want to know what God is like, that's that's a common thing that people want. What is God like? Read the gospel. Read about Jesus. Listen what he did. You can't help but love this man. You can't help but love this man. As you read about what he did and how he interacted and who he was and what he said, you will love him and you will. His character 
will call to the eternal thumbprint of God on your soul, and you'll be drawn to him. But listen, there's a second thing that happens. When we, when we see the law of God portrayed in Jesus perfectly, the first thing that happens is the character of God is reflected, but the sin of man is revealed. The sin of man is revealed. This is how it works. So we see God in all of his holiness. We see God in all of his purity, all his righteousness, all of his truth. We see that. And then we look down at ourselves. And we see, I'm not truthful. I'm not pure. I'm not good. Jesus is going to go on to describe in Matthew chapter 5 how we are all adulterers. We are all murderers. We are all thieves. We're all liars. All of us. Because in our hearts, these things reside. So the character of God is reflected, but the sin of man is revealed, and we shrink back. And what do we do? What do we do as humans when our brokenness is shown? Well, you know what Adam and Eve did, right? Adam and Eve went and they, they'd eaten from the tree. As so they run out in the bushes and they make some kind of clothing or something out of leaves to hide themselves from God. I remember my kids doing this. Just little toddlers. You know, you'd walk in the living room and, and there would stand one of my children over behind the couch like this. It's like, Jacob, did you do something wrong? Uh-uh. It's like a riot stand with your face against the wall, right? We hide. We hide. The truth is the law was never going to save anybody. The law was never meant to save you. The law was never meant to perfect you. The law was never meant to make you righteous. The law was never meant, that wasn't the purpose of the law. The law was to create that effect. The law was to create the realization that I do not meet the reflection of God. I do not meet it. I am broken. I am humiliated. I am poor in spirit. Let me show you this in the Bible, okay? Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. Turn over there quickly. Galatians chapter 3, where Paul here is writing this epistle, he is, the whole point of Galatians is answering why the law and why we don't run back to it to trust us, to trust to provide this kind of righteousness to ourselves. So in Galatians chapter 3, I think I've got this on the screen, but I encourage you to turn there if you have your Bible. Look at verse number 23. Here's what it says. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned. These are really powerful terms. Imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. Let me tell you about this word guardian. Your translation may say tutor. It may say school teacher. It, it, it's, it actually literally means a teacher or a leader of children is what it means. That's what this word means. The ESV chooses the word guardian. Think of like a, 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 you know, an orphan child who has a guardian now. So they care for this young child and they direct them. This is what the law was meant to do. Not to direct us to how to be righteous, but to direct us to faith. 
to direct us to faith in Christ, to direct us to look to the cross of Christ when Jesus died for sinners and proclaimed, it is finished. You see, the law was meant to shrink us, to humiliate us, to say, I'm poor in spirit. I can do nothing. It was a guardian, a teacher, to continue to show us, you need grace. You need grace. You need grace. Man, we aren't like that with one another, are we? We're not like that. We might give mercy. Maybe. Somebody does something wrong, I might give you mercy. I don't smack you across the face. Wrong me once, shame on you. Wrong me twice, shame on me. We don't give grace. Not humans. At least not unredeemed ones who are walking away from the Spirit of God. Now listen, you're meant to give grace. You reflect God's grace now with one another. But in our natural state, we don't display grace and we rarely display mercy. God is unlike us. He is holy in his character. So, this guardian is given, this teacher is given, this tutor is given. The law is used of God to show us we need his grace. Go back now to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Let me show you what what the standard actually is. Matthew chapter 5, look at verse number 48 in Matthew chapter 5, the last verse of chapter 5. If I, I believe it's 48. Honestly, my vision is getting so bad, I can hardly see my Bible anymore. Today's my 29th anniversary, you know that? Married 29 years, yeah. Getting old, though. Getting old. I'm, I got to start wearing my glasses. I just can't, I don't, that's just tough. But 48, I believe, it says, you therefore, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect. As your heavenly Father is perfect. There's the standard, folks. You ready to go ahead and line up for that? You ready? You ready to say, okay, that's me. I sign me up. I'll be perfect. That's the requirement. If you're going to get there on your own, that's the requirement. Perfection. Now listen. The Pharisees understood this. So look with me in Matthew chapter 5. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away... Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Pastor John dealt with that last week. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. See, the Pharisees felt this. Every man feels this. Every woman feels this. You see the character of God. You shrink back in your sin. Everybody feels it. So what the Pharisees did is they lessened the commandments. They lessened them. They, they created other rules that they could follow. And I'm doing it this way because they wrapped around them. They created this line, this circle of other laws that they could follow. They could follow these. And their mind was that they would keep them from those other ones. The ones they can't keep, they'll have these out here that would keep them from these other laws. And they can live these out. So they lessened the command of God. And Jesus is going to show us this in the rest of Matthew chapter 5. For instance... The Pharisees lessened God's call for purity to this. You shall not commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. Hey, and that's true. You and I are not to commit adultery. And the Pharisees patted themselves on the back. I've never committed adultery. 
I am a man, or whatever. And Jesus came along and said, mm -mm. no, no. When you look at a woman to lust for her, you have committed adultery in your heart. Oh. So it's harder than what I thought. I thought I just had to keep these rules. I, I thought I had to just keep these little laws. And I, and I set up other ideas. You know, for instance, like I'll always walk on the other side of a woman's coming down the street. I'll go over here because after all, I don't want to slip and have adultery with her, right? So I set up these other laws to keep me from that. Jesus says, mm -mm, no. See, when that thought came to your head, you're already there, buddy. You're already there. Mm. See, our reaction to the law, we see in verse number, number 19, is, is typically one of two things. Really, they come together. We contrive, we, we come up with this system, we develop this deceitful little lie. We contrive this way that we can pat ourselves on the back that we're doing okay and construct some other sort of set of rules. That's what we do. It's what the Pharisees did. It's what you and I do too. We elevate pieces of the law so we can pat ourselves on the back. You know, we might say, well, I don't commit adultery. But do you see the speed limit? Say, I don't commit that particular sin. I'm not one of those people. I'm not a homosexual. But what if we check out the history on your computer? You see what we do? You see how we are? We, we take bits and pieces and we elevate them. And we say, yeah, this one really matters. We contrive and we construct. We lie and develop systems to make us feel a little better. Let me, let me show you Jesus dealing with this just briefly. Go, you can't talk about the Pharisees without going to Matthew chapter 23, okay? I got so much I'd like to say about the Pharisees that and I just don't have time. As a matter of fact, I'll say this. There's a podcast coming tomorrow in your email box or through Facebook or wherever you get it. And Pastor Billy and I talk a lot more about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and what Jesus had to say about them. And, and the only reason we did is because I knew we weren't going to cover everything. So you ought to listen to that tomorrow. I think it'll be an encouragement to you. But in Matthew chapter 23... Now, this is probably a year and a half later, okay? And now this is kind of like the final showdown between Jesus and the Pharisees, all right? And he's going to deal with this contriving and this constructing that the, that the Pharisees have done. And I just want to just show you just a few things here, okay? As you read through Matthew chapter 23 this, time, this week on your own time, you'll notice that there are several of these woes. Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. You'll find the first one in verse number 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you. Jump down to verse number 16. Let's see what Jesus says here. Woe to you, blind guides. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? Picture that. A blind guide. A lot of good they do. Walk right off the edge of the cliff, right? That's, that's who these Pharisees are. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, now that, he is bound by that oath. You see what they're doing? So yeah, yeah, I'll pay you back in full. Well, I, uh, I swear by the temple. Wink, wink. Goes to his buddy. 
Hey, man, here's what I'm really paying. I swear to you, that's what I'm really paying. Hey, I swear by the gold of the temple. Oh, gotcha. See what they're doing? Jesus says, woe to you. They're, that, they're, they're, this whole contrived system that allows them to pat themselves on the back. They're okay. They're okay. Jump down to verse number 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe. Now listen to this, ladies, and, and us men who cook. Um, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. Now I love to cook, but I don't tithe too often out of my, I don't even know what, Mint would be, I guess. I don't know how that would work. There's little leaves, I guess. But they're, they're tithing mint, dill, and cumin. So I don't know whether... And listen, commentators are divided on this. If this was maybe just him speaking in hyper, hyperbolic terms, you know, just hyperbole, just, you know, expressing a, a big sort of statement to say, you do even that, or if they literally did this. Okay, honey, time to go to church. Hand me that cumin bottle, would you? You know... I guess that's what they would do. I'm not sure. But the whole point is here, they're selective because they tithe from their cumin, but they do not live out the matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So they don't care about justice. They don't care about justice. Uh, we'll, let the politi- we'll let the law deal with that. We deal with important things like tithing our mint Feather, le, uh, leaves. There we go. That's the word I was after. Like tithing our mint leaves, right? They're selective. Verse 25 is probably the issue. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. They're externally, it's all about what you see. The last one, verse 27 and beyond, Jesus calls them whitewashed tombs. See that? You know what that means? They're liars. They're liars. They're deceptive. You whitewashed tomb. You look fine on the outside. You polished up the outside, but inside, you are a dead body, a rotten corpse. He is calling them out at such a level that they demand his crucifixion. What's the point? Man continues to do this. You and I do it too. So we, we, this is not kick a Pharisee day. You and I do it too. We contrive and we construct this system that makes us feel better when the truth is right there on the floor, humiliated because of the character of God is the best place for God to start with us. He picks us up there. He picks us up there poor in spirit makes us something wonderful. We're getting there. We're getting there. Stay with me. Verse number 20. Let's, let's get there. Verse number 20 gives us the demand of the law. Now read it with me. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And I'm telling you, all across the mount that day was a gasp. Righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees? Why, that's impossible. That's ridiculous. This cannot be. Listen, that's the exact response the disciples had to Jesus in Matthew chapter 19. 
In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is going through the same teaching, and the disciples pull Jesus aside and say, listen, man, this is impossible. This cannot be. This cannot be. And Jesus says what? You're right. It is impossible for man. But nothing is impossible for God. Jesus is driving all of us to the truth that we cannot do this on our own. We need an outside source to come in and fix us. We need an outside source to come in and make us righteous. Our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. And I don't want you to think of more than, you know, like they're at level 98, but you got to get to level 99. I don't want you to think of that. It's a higher righteousness. Exceeds. It's higher. It's, it's beyond. It's, it's not a little better. It's a whole different kind. It's a higher righteousness. It's a righteousness that's given to us by the grace of God. It's not a righteousness that's earned. It's not a righteousness that, that's worked towards. It's not a righteousness that's, that's sort of developed over time. It's a righteousness that's given from a holy God who is all righteous and gives it to one laying on the ground poor in spirit. To the one that says, I can't. God says, I have. When the, the, one that, the one that says, I can't do this, God. I can't do this. God says, yeah, I'm right. You're right. It's finished. I already did it here. See, the Pharisees, did, they, needed, they needed the rest of the New Testament. Oh, they had it. They, they had it there. Okay, they should have understood all of these truths. But the remainder of the New Testament continues to kind of put flesh on these bones and muscle on these bones. And I want to just, I want to show you maybe, if I have time, two passages that will help us understand how we get there, okay? The first one is in Ephesians 2. So if you have your Bible, turn back there with me. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, there was a great Pharisee who wrote the book of Ephesians. What? Yeah, that's right. His name was Saul. Later changed to Paul. Okay, he was a Pharisee who came to Jesus, who laid on the ground, literally blinded by Jesus, understood he could never, ever earn his way to God. And Jesus said, come, let me give you something. The problem is mankind doesn't understand how sinful we really are. We don't understand our real sin problem because we don't understand we don't understand that our problem is not our sins your problem is not your sins your sins reveal your problem our problem is that we are before Christ working on it now in Christ our default condition is that of a sinner. It's not that we sin. It's that we are sinners. Look at Ephesians 2, verse number 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We are dead, folks. Before you came to Christ, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You know what this is? This is the fact that you and I, when we were born, we inherited from Adam guilt. You inherited something at your birth. Oh, wow, what is that? A mansion? A, a, a whole bunch of money? Pot of gold? What did I inherit? 
you inherited guilt. Born dead. Romans chapter 5 says that in Adam's fall, we all are sinners. You want to have proof of that? Here's the biblical proof that you all, we all inherited death. We inherited sin. You know why? Because we all die. We all die. That's the proof. Are you going to die one day? Yeah. Yep. That proves you inherited the guilt of Adam's fall. So see, our, our very condition is that of sinner. Keep going in Ephesians 2. Secondly, it says that we are dead in our trespasses in which we once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. That's a lot of phrases. Number three. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Not only did we inherit guilt, we also inherited corruption. Our flesh wants sin. We, we have a desire for sin. We're born dead. We're born already guilty. And this thing is multiplied. There's a cumulative effect here. And our flesh wants sin. So what are these sins that you and I feel guilt over? They're just fruit of a rotten tree. That's what they are. Pharisees missed that. And they thought, well, maybe I can improve myself a little bit. Maybe I can make myself a little better. Maybe I can add this or add that and I'll be okay. And Jesus is trying to beat this into their head. No, no, no. And I say it to you today. No, no, no. If you're relying on you to bring you into God's presence, if you're relying on you to make you righteous enough, if you're relying on you to ensure that you have a relationship with God, it is a failed effort and it is never going to work and you are looking at a Christless eternity. Know the truth that God saved us. Put that last verse up on the screen. I'm just going to read it. That we are saved. He saved us by the washing of regeneration. That's to be born again. And the renewal of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit comes and lives in us. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified. That's a word that we don't use very often. But what it means is it, it's, a, it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. It's to be credited with righteousness. It's like a banker who, who pulls out your account and says, you know what, I think I'm going to give them unlimited money. Boom. You open it, oh, look there, my balance is unlimited. A credited account. Christ, when we look to him alone and not our own works, not our own ability to follow the law, not our ability to be good enough or to say the right words or to go to the right church or, or walk the right aisle or fill out the right card or raise the right hand, what, no, none of those things. When we look to Christ alone, look to the cross of Christ, rely upon what he did at the cross, he credits us with righteousness. Picks us up off the ground. 
robes us in righteousness, puts a stamp on us and says, my son, my daughter. Now go. Be blessed. I am with you. I am for you. I have forgiven you. Have you responded to Christ in your life? Truly in your heart? I don't mean do you know the stories. I don't mean could you turn to Matthew chapter 5. I don't mean do you know the details. The Pharisees could outdo any of us. I mean truly, if you repented in your heart and said, I'm a sinner, Jesus, you're a savior, save me. That's the gospel, folks. He went to the cross and died, went in the grave, came out three days later alive, conquering death, conquering sin. Look to him, not to you. Look to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace. It took your grace to beat this sin. Lord, we confess before you that we all were so prone to wander, Lord, so prone to try to operate our own strength. Lord, we feel it. So, Lord, bind us to you that we, wouldn't re- we would not rely upon ourselves. We rely upon you alone. Thank you, Lord, that you are willing to invade this earth. Lord, you are willing to chip away the, 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 the obstacle that was there between us and you, our sin. Lord, you knocked it away and you beat it at the cross. I pray, Lord, for anybody today who's put their trust in you, that they do that in their heart, Lord cry out that they're a sinner, that they believe on you and call on you to save them. Lord, you do that in an instant. Now, Lord, just keep us firmly rooted in what it truly means to be a follower of yours. That as we received you as Lord, that we continue to walk there, depending upon your strength, not our own, and looking at the law as a perfect reflection of you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.